Bill Skelly with ICO. Like to interest you in some new private detection equipment, including the 440A telephonic bug. We'll demonstrate it in the friend's home for one full week at no charge. I think I think you could use a different take, anyways. Oh, thanks. A little more energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to Two Hundred a Day, the podcast where we talk about the '70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta, and I'm Epidia Rabishaw. And before we get into this week's episode, we have some blinking lights, or I suppose a blinking light on our uh, <laughs> answering answering machine. So uh, we're just going to check that real quick and see what listeners have to say about our recent episodes. We had a couple of comments come in about our recent episode 89 on Caledonia. It's worth a fortune. Mm. First, we had listener Sandra email us with some very pertinent corrections. Yes. Um, well, a global note. Uh, so this is coming from the perspective of someone who was in college when the show originally aired. And uh, she wanted us to know that the majority of the sartorial choices and uh, clothing worn is indeed just what people wore, <laughs> which I think we kind of <laughs> yeah. theorized um, on our on our Q&A um, about clothing, uh, just because it's pretty difficult to find any kind of like costume department documentation or mm-hmm. anything. I don't even know really how to go about that for, for TV shows of this era. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, you know, a global note to us. Yes. It's good to know that the world was once that way. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, and also a specific correction that the article of clothing that Jim pulls out of the couch. So first of all, I didn't notice it because I right. guess my head was down during that shot and taking notes. Uh, you you told us that it was perhaps tidy whities Yeah, well, at least it appeared to be something he was trying to hide or should have been embarrassed about in some well, I don't even know about embarrassed, but yeah, it like Epidia, you suggested it was a pair of tidy whities No, it was a seventies era bra. Jim wasn't a slob; he was a ladies' man, <laughs> and I think that it fits in perfectly with the trying yeah. to hide in the sense of you know he's talking to uh, this client yeah. who is a woman and he finds a another woman's undergarment in his couch. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, Sandra goes on to say, there are situations Jim is in that may seem inappropriate now, but were considered commonplace at the time. Men were more macho without that being a bad thing. Women were free to enjoy men without worrying about pregnancy. Bell bottoms were in, bras were out. <laughs> and I think we've talked about that a little bit more in previous episodes where there was a more, especially in the early seasons when Jim has more like in this episode, here is the love, like the client is also the love interest. Yeah. Yeah. And how some of those re- relationships are very casual I think, is it Charlie Harris at large? This is going way back, but there's one where the woman who plays Dr. Pulaski on Star Trek is <laughs> in the episode. We can and... make that happen. We can find out which <laughs> one that is. You've given me enough to work with. And she uh, brings Jim in to her orbit in a, in a way that is very kind of swinging 70s. Yeah. Uh, I remember we talked about it then. But yeah, I think it's just something that we kind of haven't seen in recent episodes as much, so we haven't really delved into it. But it is good to be reminded, uh, as always, that it was a different time. (laughs) You're right, Charlie Harris at large. Well done. Thank you. I guess I should have just checked that episode first, and then, (laughs) if that weren't the case, move on. But yeah, but you know what? What I'm am I am I off off base here? No, no. I think you're. you're yeah, I think. Uh, um. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I was alive at the time of the airing of the show, but I was so tiny, I would not have uh, caught any of the, like, I would have been 
five when mm-hmm. today's episode it first aired. <laughs> yeah, you you were not actively watching. Yeah, yeah. Nighttime TV and getting references to mm-hmm. women's undergarments or uh, casual uh, relationships in in um, in that manner. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a great um, course correction or uh, a great uh, reminder at the very reminder. Least. Yeah. Also in reference to episode 89, uh, patron Brian at Thermoware on Twitter clued us in that the car carrier gambit was taken from a 1972 movie, What's Up Doc, which oh, yes. I had not heard of. I just watched. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, uh, because of that that tweet. It's a lot of fun. It's a it's kind of a screwball comedy um, with uh, Barbara Streisand and uh, I cannot think of. Well, Madeline Kahn is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's great. Um, Try to think of some of the other. I'm really bad with names of people. But anyways, there are four or five people who all have a uh, piece of luggage that looks identical. And of course, one of them is filled with jewels. One of them has like spy documents in them and one of them is just filled with rocks and they get all switched up and there's just lots of antics going on it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun uh and there is definitely a moment where they drive up onto the uh the the trucks that carry cars around mm-hmm. um to there's actually a really fun chase in it it's this nice. huge like it's in san francisco right yeah yeah, yeah. so you, it has that feel of like you know those chases where it's just the all right so again i'm going to show my age here these are chases that are probably the inspiration for the well this one very clearly is a reference to to looney tunes and i mm-hmm. i think it even ends with the looney tunes logo my memory's not the best <laughs> i only saw it last week but i also saw who framed roger rabbit within the past couple of weeks so i'm getting a little some things confused here but anyways the point is um i just remember all these cartoons from when i was a kid that were just these giant chases mm-hmm, of so, yeah. like Catch the Pigeon and Penelope Pit Stop and and Wacky Races and maybe they're all the same cartoon. I don't know. But uh, there's just like this whole genre that is a bunch of people Mm -hmm. all in cars uh, or some sort of vehicle going in the same direction. And we just see the the wacky hijinks of how each of them gets picked off one by one. Mm -hmm. A lot of fun. Was it streaming somewhere? Oh, yes. Uh, Oh, it was on HBO Max. All right. If you are a HBO Maxer, maybe check it out. Um, Brian Sen, uh, you know, included a screenshot in the tweet, which we have retweeted from uh, at 200 pod. So it certainly looks like a uh, yeah, certainly an homage uh, to, to something like that. Um, yeah, it looks great. I'm glad you, that, you, that you watched it. So we had something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it on the list. Final note about Caledonia, it's worth a fortune. Uh, patron and friend of the show, Sam, uh, left a oh, yeah. left a, a, a fun note on our pat- Patreon post about it. Besides the much more prominent and recognizable Sid Haig, the photographer taking shots of the sheriff was a blink-and-you-miss-it very early role for unlikely 70s, 80s tough guy actor Robert Ginty. Oh. I took a look. I think the only Robert Ginty vehicle I've seen was the one that was on Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> Makes sense. But yeah, there's a lot of those uh, uh, blink-and-you-miss-it debuts or, um, or, or early roles. Um, Sam also mentions uh, Robert Hayes uh, in the Deep Blue Sleep episode. But yeah, Sam's always good for those uh, for those polls. So thanks, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Finally, uh, on a different note, we had an email from listener Eli about the episode Sleight of Hand, which is in season one. 
the thrust of the email is uh, talking about how it's it's one where the plot stuff doesn't really hold together as as you're watching and kind of thinking about it. So it made me think of two things. One was we have actually done sleight of hand, <laughs> but it was our episode three. Yeah. Um. So I don't recall exactly what we said about it but one distinguishing feature of that episode is that it was based on a novel um 1954's thin air uh by howard brown yes and so it 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 concerns the disappearance this jim's uh i think he's his fiance is how it's framed i I can't remember girlfriend or or fiance um but like like serious character we've never seen before yeah but like serious um, um romantic partner uh, just like disappears and then he goes on the the hunt to find out what happened and you know one could go back and listen to episode three and see what we, what we thought about it which was recorded five years ago right i just <laughs> <laughs> right um but uh i think one reason we picked it was because it was a something that was like not in the rockford formula and so we were interested mm. in seeing what that looked like um it may not have been super successful i remember liking some of the framing like some of the actual direction was very noir because it's kind of a noir story yeah. noir pastiche kind of thing uh but yeah um but that is neither here nor there everyone's welcome to like or dislike any individual episode as much as they do or or don't uh yeah but the email brought up the uh idea of like talking about bad episodes um yeah. of the show and i think i don't know we've done we've discussed this off air a little bit but i think we're just not there are episodes that we do and find more disappointing than we would have hoped or don't live up to a certain promise that they seem to have made mm-hmm. but i don't know if i'm really interested in like slamming episodes yeah, I, so it looks like, again, again uh, this episode w- w- was recorded five years ago. We've been at this, uh, in this de- by December we'll be at this for five years. Yeah. Um, and uh, the trajectory is such that we'll probably do all episodes. <laughs> so we're it's, we're guaranteed to, to do the worst episode, right? right like right. that's, that's going to happen. Um, but I think part of uh, what we want to do is to just find what we can in each of the episodes i mean we certainly uh, won't sugarcoat it things there are definitely some out there that aren't that great but like we're not yeah our our job here uh is to celebrate Mm -hmm. uh and to uh learn what lessons we can or at least the job we've the job we've given ourselves to be clear and as this goes (laughs) on and on i think that we're more and more likely to just be doing that because of uh just it just seems that we need more of that in our lives that's all <laughs> yeah i think that is well said we don't mind hearing about it though no 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 like if you, if you didn't care for uh an episode by all means do tell oh, us and, and i think the the criticism that it doesn't seem like a good rockford files episode in the sense that it doesn't match the things you come to see the rockford files for yeah i think that's pretty in my memory i think that's, that's pretty apt yeah. it's 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 kind of a downer it is uh doesn't really paint jim as being a particularly great investigator if i remember right yeah the the novel is not uh, a rockford files right Italian and, novel or anything like that they're they're shoehorning it in yeah they're they're using this other story which is also interesting because so much of the writing for the show was written almost everything right like mm-hmm. the 
part of the appeal of the show is the great writing. And so basing a story on a different piece of writing that's a different narrative structure. Mm -hmm. It suffered in translation. I think we talked about that in that episode. Um, But, you know, again, five years ago. Yeah. Don't really. (laughs) Some things have happened. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no, there's certainly criticisms to be had of of certain episodes. Um, And, you know, we'll make them where where we see them. But also, so far, I don't think we've had any episode that gave us nothing to enjoy. Yeah. And so that's what we focus on generally. So that was what was on our answering machine uh, from recent episodes. So thanks again for everyone who yeah. reached out. Um, as always, you can tweet at us, email us at 200adaypodcast at gmail.com or join the Patreon at patreon.com slash 200aday and let us know what you think. All right. So, Epi, what episode yeah. are we talking about today? <laughs> today we're talking about uh, South by Southeast, uh, which is an episode that I chose for two very specific reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one, uh, I got the reference in the title. I have seen <laughs> uh, the Hitchcock movie North by Northwest, uh, although it's been a long time since I've seen it. And I, I think aside from the title, I don't think there's really any connection between the two. I have also seen it. I've seen it multiple times, but not recently. There were two things. There was one and a half things that I was like, I think okay. that's a reference other than the title. So I guess that brings us to two and a half things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I did actually pull up the plot synopsis just to look through and be like, is there something really obvious that was like some kind of... And I think there was uh, one more reference that's very oblique if you really wanted to read it that way. But I think it's more of a coincidence than a okay. reference. So we're up to three then. Yeah, we're up to two and a half with a phantom half. So okay. three on a good day. <laughs> it's the the equalizer bar that keeps blinking at the very end. That that. Uh... All right. Um. Yeah. So yeah. So South by Southeast, clearly a North by Northwest. Uh. I don't know. It's not a parody. It's it's really just a. It's not really an homage either. It's mostly just a reference. I, I think. It, yeah, I think they just wanted. They just uh, they were sending Jim to South America, and they thought, "Oh, this would be a funny title." Mm-hmm. I think that's that. That's the extent of it. Uh, and, but the other reason why I chose it is because uh, Juanita Bartlett. Mm-hmm. She wrote it, and uh, we were just um, just looking through which uh, seasons could use a little extra love, and uh, season four seemed like it needed. So mm-hmm. here we are, season four, episode. Yeah, season four, episode eighteen. Ah, uh, there we go. Yes, this one comes right after Dwarf in a Helium Hat, which I say just because that means that it's the second episode aired in a row that is premised with Jim being mistaken for somebody else. <laughs> yeah, that is. Because that one is the Jim Rockfelt yes. mistaken uh, phone number transposition um, premise. Uh, and then this one, as we will get into, is uh, premised on Jim getting someone else's mail and then being taken to be that person um, over his very strong objections. <laughs> Um, this episode is directed by William Wired, who we, again, are, are smack in the middle of his directography. I took a look. I think we have 11 more episodes that he directed (laughs) to get through, but I was like, you know what? We mentioned him a lot. I should, you know, we should say a little bit more about him. I, I cannot find a thing about this guy. (laughs) He was a prolific director. Uh, -hmm. he had, I would say probably, you know, tragically died fairly young of cancer, I think in his late fifties. And, uh, there's just not, 
not a lot out there. So I'll I'll keep trying to to look around by the time we get to the end of his of his run. But um, other than just directing a lot of TV, yeah, just a ton of it. Uh, yeah, really, really not a lot more to say. So I guess that brings us right into what this episode wants to be all about and get into our preview montage. Uh, yeah, the two things that stood out to me um, were uh, just kind of the great joke that it opens on with, the, with Jim going, passport, I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then cut to him clearly on a private jet looking <laughs> around. So uh, we get right away what the, what we're going to be doing. Um, and then uh, there is just this mention of uh, he at the end of it, him having to go home because uh, mm-hmm. Rocky's tired of feeding his cat. Yep. And we're like, wait a second. Yeah. So, uh, and then, and then, who will find out is Christine Van Deerling, uh, very suggestively mentioning that she would like to meet his cat. Mm-hmm. It, it made me think, like, there's no other textual evidence of a cat, so I'm, I suspect that's just a line that mm-hmm. he's offering. I don't think I'm going to go ahead and assume that there's a cat <laughs> that's just been somehow unobtrusive throughout the entirety of the series. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, and, I, and I think the context for that line delivery is yeah does confirm your suspicions. Yeah, because uh, Beth had a cat for a while. Yeah, the, the, that but there was like an off-screen, mm-hmm. like it was a thing. Yes, it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing, and in fact, in Dwarf and Helium Hat, Jim very well may end up with may have ended up with a dog. So, oh right, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is an opportunity shout out for. Uh, jgarf jgarf.org which is dg yeah. garner's uh animal rescue fund in james garner's memory mm-hmm. um so if you are a animal fancier uh that wants to help out some some animals for a good cause james garner was a dog lover and his daughter runs this foundation for rescuing dogs uh and i believe other animals but yeah mostly dogs uh jgarf.org nice shout out well done okay. it was a there's a good opportunity yeah um I would say notably this uh this preview montage does not involve a car chase. Yes. <laughs> and I and at first I was like, "Oh, there isn't really a car chase in the episode," which is true. But there yeah. but there are like car things and there are some gun things, and I feel like yeah. most episodes would have one of those in the thing. So I think the preview montage is actually giving us a little bit of a look at this is not an adventure story. This is a romance story based right. on what they've chosen to give us in the fairly brief preview montage. I would agree with that. We're going to take a quick break to say thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Thanks to you, we're a 100% listener-supported show. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives. We extend special thanks to our gumshoe-level patrons supporting this episode. Chuck from whatcha'reading.com, Paul Townend. Paul also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, check out rollforyour.party for all of your online dice-rolling needs. Jay Adan, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadan.com. Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Matthew Lee, and Jay Thompson. And finally, we can't thank our detective-level patrons enough for their generous support of the show. Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, 
Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam. We follow them too at 200pod. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it, and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. So we start off our episode with an establishing shot of the Firebird outside the trailer, and we see Jim going through his mail, and he's gotten yet another piece of mail for Terrence Halsey, a person who does not live at his address. Uh, this is immediately followed by a knock at the door and then a suited man coming in saying that he is uh, agent so-and-so and he's come to take Jim to another agent to get started on this mission or project or, you know, endeavor. There's two things I want to note right away. And one is the music. Because mm-hmm. uh, we've, we've made a promise to mention the music. And there's some weird synth versions of the theme going on here uh and throughout this is a good episode for for uh some, some departures in the uh yeah. score department uh and then the second thing is just this agent stepping like he rockford opens the door the agent steps right in and rockford's like would you like to come in and that interaction is going to be i think the next 15 minutes right right of, that is just <laughs> that for the next 15 minutes which is is great it, it's a it's a lovely setup for it but so we have the, the the title South by Southeast is our first North by Northwest reference, and then here I think we get our second solid reference, which is that Jim he has an appointment with a p- prospective client, Northwestern Mutual. <laughs> so he yeah. doesn't want to miss that appointment, uh, but the agent insists that he come speak to the other agent, and Jim allows himself to be uh, to be hustled out um, into the waiting car. So I think this whole introductory sequence is a series of like. Jim probably could have just stopped this all in its tracks, but because it is the premise of the episode, we're just going to go with it. Right? Yeah, he's a little he, he's a little bamboozled by it, which is slightly out of character for Jim. But there's this thing like throughout it, Jim is saying things like, you know, I want to know what's happening. It doesn't mean I, I'm not going to cooperate because I know that you're the feds. Right, right. Yeah, there is a known downside to antagonizing feds. Yeah, yeah. But but this is definitely a moment of like, you know, just relax and let let this happen to Jim. Yeah. This is it. This is what we need to get him somewhere. Yeah, this is the story we're here to see. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the next stage takes place at this airport where Jim is basically handed from agent to agent who continues to act like he should know what they're all talking about. One uh, takes him to get his picture taken real quick. Um, there's been a, a sudden change in the plans and Jim has all these questions. He's like, first the picture, then the questions. <laughs> so he gets his picture taken, but then this agent, he can't actually say what's changed because this whole project is under agent, yes. agent Muir. Um, and so Jim needs to talk to him. So Jim goes to ask another agent where that guy is. That's when he gets handed this, this passport. So they've taken his picture so they can falsify this passport for him. Right. And then uh, the next agent says, like, well, they have to go out to the plane. They're on a timetable. And that Agent Kleinhoff can straighten everything out. <laughs> uh, so Jim is now fixated on this Agent Muir as, like, the guy in charge. So he keeps asking to yeah, talk yeah. to him. Um, he is, as he's hustled to a plane, he's handed a, an envelope. All his briefing materials are in the envelope. Uh, and Jim's like, I'm not going until I see Agent Muir. But he's out with the flu and <laughs> is not actually in person at, at the at the site. 
Um, but it's not necessary to talk to him because everything's arranged and your bags are on the plane and you're all ready to go, Mr. Halsey. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So we finally get to the point where Jim definitively says, you have the wrong guy. Yes, yes. My name's James Rockford. James Scott Rockford. You guys have picked up the wrong man. That is impossible. You reside at uh, 29 Cove Road, Malibu? Male, Caucasian, approximately six foot two, six one, brown on brown. That makes you Terrence Halsey. That's what we have in our record. Jim has even reported the fact that he's been getting the wrong mail to the post office. There's a record that he's complained about not being this guy Halsey. But uh, Agent Muir is the only one who could verify it because he's the only one who's met Halsey in person, apparently. And he, again, is not present. Um so Jim, I think in a big mistake, gives this guy his wallet with all of his IDs. And he's like, here's all my IDs. That's that's the the point where I'm like, okay, this is this is just the this is just a comedy Jim. This is mm-hmm. a comedy version of Jim here. Because uh just letting him walk off with his wallet like that and then him being asked to sit on the plane while that's happening. Yeah. Almost any other episode Jim would have uh his dangerous his spidey senses going off right like right, right. like crazy but uh there, there's a version yeah. of this story where this is when he like pretends to get on the plane but then uses getting onto the stairs as an opportunity to like sucker punch the guy and run yeah. away because he doesn't know if these guys are really feds or something right um but that's not what the story is uh, <laughs> we do have a button on this where the agent who took his wallet is talking to another guy and they're like should we call langley to confirm this how would we confirm it over the phone? Because you'd have to see him to confirm it. No, we follow the scenarios written. Let them worry about it at the other end. <laughs> and uh, so Jim by now has gotten on the plane to wait, but then the doors close. They start taxiing and uh, take off over his protests as he bangs on the cockpit door. And this is like a little private plane. It's 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 a jet, but it's not like a, a passenger airline yeah, yeah. or anything. And there's a, a gag where the seatbelt sign starts flashing as uh, yes. he finally, as no one is responding to his yells. And we get our initial credits over footage of this plane taking off and flying through the air. Um, so I guess, so for those who have not seen North by Northwest, <laughs> the, again, not the send up, but kind of the model here, the, the, the reference here in that movie, Cary Grant. So James Garner in the role of Cary Grant, which is a good a good spot. I think he makes a good Cary Grant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so Cary Grant is due to a misunderstanding, uh, is thought to be a U.S. government spy who is involved with this, some kind of, of uh, uh, plot being run by, I think the Soviets, it might be left unsaid exactly, but I think in context, it's, you know, the Soviet Union. And then the hijinks ensue where he is then, since everyone is treating him as this government agent, he then has to start reacting as the agent to kind of find out what's actually going on and save his own skin. And right. And it turns into uh, it turns from a mystery into a thriller kind of yeah. as the movie goes on. And he ends up hanging out of uh, Lincoln's nose, the famous, <laughs> uh, famous, famous shot at uh, on Ron- Mount Rushmore spoilers. Uh, but there's a couple specific things that I'll, I'll, I'll note when we get to them, but that's the, when we've been saying this is a, it's not just the title, the kind yeah. of initial premise is also the North by Northwest, uh, appreciation. Jim is mistaken for this federal agent. He is then sucked into a 
situation that he has nothing to do with. But then, as we will get to, he kind of has to just start dealing with it because what else is he going to do? Obviously, we've already stated that this doesn't seem entirely Jim-like, even though he he otherwise behaves very Jim-like. Uh, but I just really enjoyed the watching the step-by-step mm-hmm. bamboozling of Jim. The the <laughs> the uh getting him aboard this i think one of the things that that really uh stands out to me like what is that every cog in this machine is just doing their job Mm -hmm. and they're just like whatever that's a problem for the next next person person. yeah it's kind of a satire it's kind of a satirical framing of the you know intelligence apparatus right yeah. And so, like, in the middle of it all, when Jim's like, I've even made a complaint to the post office, it seems like this incredibly naive thing. Like, these these all work for the probably the CIA, mm-hmm. and they're not even talking to each other. Why would they be talking to the post office? Like, what would right. – and uh, I, I, I enjoyed that. It was funny. It was – it was great seeing each step. So in the same way where, like, uh, I, I just said that Jim, normal Jim's spidey senses would be going off if he had handed his wallet over, I still, as I was watching it, was like, good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see where this is. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. see what's going to happen next. They've taken his wallet. They've put him on the plane. This is a juicy situation for Jim to be in. On the plane... There is a Agent Whitaker who appears to talk to Jim. This is where Jim, the delivery here is really good, where he says that he's he's not mad. I'm sure everything will be straightened out at the end of the line. Look, I don't want to take this out on you, but I got to tell you, I want to take it out on somebody. Does it look like it's getting straightened out? I could get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to take this out on you specifically, but I need you to understand that... Uh, <laughs> An injustice is being done here, right? That is definitely a good line and one uh, to just have in your back pocket <laughs> next time you're dealing with like a bureaucracy or something mm. where you're just like, listen, I know this is your job. I'm not mad at you, but I am mad. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Whitaker repeats that it'll all be straightened out on the other end. Um, yep. And Jim, I, basically for lack of anything else to do, opens the... Uh, uh, opens the envelope and goes through the briefing materials. This, this is a good dialogue doing multiple things scene because it's both uh, uh, giving us the exposition about what right. we're about to get into. But we also get to see Jim sparring with Whitaker and kind of like being mad, but then kind of being like, OK, I guess if this is what I'm in. Yeah, resigning to re- getting resigned to the situation. Yeah. Um, and also giving us some background on this character, Christine Von Deerling, who will be be meeting. Yes. This whole thing is about uh, some meeting that's been arranged between the feds and Christine Van Deerling, who is this incredibly rich, famous socialite who has all these, there's all these, not really scandals, but all these kind of gossip pieces yeah. that, every, that like both of them know the references to these wacky things she's done because she can do anything she wants because she's so rich. Yeah. And specifically refers to uh, some jet setter who blew... Th- 30 grand on a flock of pink cockatoos. (laughs) But Jim, of course, ends with saying that he's not going to get involved. As soon as they land, he's hitching the first ride home. One one of the things that that dialogue also does is it sets up the, uh, the class divide that's going to be not central, but like kind of an important part of what's going on between Jim and Christine later on. Mm -hmm. Oh wait, maybe even central. 
I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say not central. I'm gonna. <laughs> it's going to play an important role to to what's what's going on. It's not quite a joke in the cut because we have the the the, the last credits over more flying footage after this this uh, dialogue, but then they land on a pretty deserted <laughs> yes. airstrip. This is, I think, my half reference. There's a great shot. I think this is a this is just a great little sequence. But they mm-hmm. land. Jim gets off, and then we kind of have like a kind of a longest long shot where we watch the plane turn around and go back down the airstrip before taking off again. Yeah, and it's so close to Jim. He like has to back away, or he'll get hit by the wing, and then <laughs> the the engine draft kind of like blows him backwards a little bit. Uh, so it's kind of half a reference in the sense that there's a iconic sequence in North by Northwest where Cary Grant's in, he's dropped off in the middle of nowhere in Indiana, I think. Um, yeah, somewhere in the uh, It's just endless cornfields. And then this yeah. crop duster shows up and... I don't remember exactly how it's framed, but the crop duster has uh, guys with guns in it, and they start yeah. to they, they try to run down and kill Cary Grant, and he runs through these cornfields with this like crop duster chasing him, and it's uh, it's it's an iconic sequence for a lot of reasons: how it's framed, the music or lack of music, the tension, all that stuff. But this like deserted airstrip with a plane bit um, yeah. reminded me of that, and so. Uh, I think I feel like it's a bit of a half reference. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, just having a plane makes me think of it. So uh, I, I, I also wrote in my notes. Like I loved that it was the middle of nowhere. I have the words "nice shot" in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the only thing I had in there is like they didn't need to refuel. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, this is the part where I this and and like the very next bit. Now I'm like, okay, let's get to what's going on now. Let's right, let's right. yeah. Uh, we've done the joke. We've got him now, uh, where he just can't get away. There's nothing he can do. Yeah, we have a, a beat, and then a a car arrives to pick up Jim. It contains two guys who speak nothing but Spanish. Yes, and Jim has trouble communicating with them because other than asking him his name, they speak no English, and he has very very poor. Uh, Angelino <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Spanish to try and put together um, some questions. He wants to find out where he is. We get kind of a joke where when he finally gets together, like, donde esta? Uh, one of the guys just goes off about the immediate area. You know, la norte, let's see. Like, he's like yeah, yeah, pointing just... and he's talking about stuff like right there, but Jim wants to know what country he's in. And yeah, we do not get an answer to that for quite a while. I guess essentially for lack of better op. Also, they were well. They call him Mr. Halsey, right? But um, yeah, both because they're there for him and lack of other options, he does end up going with them. He says he is Halsey at that point, right? Well, he tries to explain that he's not, and they just stare at him. And yeah, so he's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. He has he has very few options. Um, these guys are kind of caricatures. Uh, I think yeah. this gets into kind of a question of the episode, which is like, how I don't know. Is it is is this part racist? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Welcome to the segment. Now, um, so basically, most of why these two are here are to the the joke is that Jim doesn't understand the the local right lingo and 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 whatnot. the The joke is that Jim is just just out of his depth, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not the joke isn't entirely pointed at him because we as the audience. Jim has our sympathies and we're we're sitting here thinking 
why are they just you know just throwing out a bunch of spanish when he clearly doesn't understand spanish although he does try to communicate with them in spanish mm. and that's what sort of triggers that to happen i yeah i don't i we're not the ones to answer this question obviously <laughs> sure sure yeah. but uh it definitely does seem to me that 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 the most of the joke is on jim it's just like this is just a bad situation to be in mm. uh because when they start speaking in Spanish, it's to each other, and it's very conversational. Yeah, it's like they're just kind of chatting. Yeah, it, with the exception of when he asks in Spanish where he is, at, and that's this joke where this guy mistakes it for, like, just doesn't understand Jim's context. I don't even know if they saw him come off the plane. So mm. he's just standing in the middle, of, like, we're going to pick someone up at, at this airstrip here. We don't know that he's from somewhere else or anything like that. But, um, yeah. So I, I don't know what I accomplished by anything I said there, <laughs> other than um, I, I we're definitely in a day and age where we should be worried that something like that might be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm I was, I was on alert, right? I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Is this gonna be is this gonna be uncomfortable uh, to watch? And I don't think it is overall. The focus of this is mostly on Jim and then the people who live in this like westernized like resort hotel. Yeah for the most part so where, where it becomes sort of um stereotypical uh there, there's a point later on where there's an engineered uh car accident mm-hmm. which is the the part where but that's being played for a distraction yeah yeah all right i guess we'll discuss it we'll, we'll just discuss c- continue it. going yeah but <laughs> yeah yeah this is where i started going like hmm, all right i'm just keeping an eye out yeah um they take Jim to a ramshackle barn where another another guy comes out to meet them. He has his hand behind his back in a very ominous manner. And then one of the guys, you know, calls Jim Senior Halsey and he pulls out the gun he's holding behind his back. All right, let's start with what you're doing here. You're not Terrence Halsey. Yes. <laughs> On my recording, it cuts to black. I assume that's a cut to commercial. On this dramatic moment. Um, and uh, we come back to hearing that it's a monumental mess. So this guy, we get his name eventually. He's uh, Sam Groya. And he is the local CIA contact operative. I guess he's an operative. Like he's a, he has an ID and stuff. So he's like, a, he's American, but he's, he's technically undercover. But everyone knows who he is. Is part of the joke with him also. Yeah. There's uh, another, he asks if the, the guys who put him on the plane, if they even checked his ID, right? And that's another kind of joke at Jim's expense where it's like, they checked my IDs, they didn't believe me. Um, right. But yeah, this guy actually knows who this guy, who Halsey is, so Jim obviously is not the right person. But since he's there, <laughs> this is the only time they've been able to make contact with uh, Christine Van Deerling in it's been like a seven year operation or something. And it was going to be Halsey because he has a relationship with her. They were even engaged to be married briefly before that fell apart. And she ended up getting married to John Van Deerling, who is her current husband. So she's the daughter of this fine of this famous business guy who owned all these industries and stuff. And she's inherited them all. So she has the money. This guy, John married her and they suspect that he's, icing out everyone that she used to be friends with and is surrounding her with his people and is kind of using her right for perhaps something nefarious indicated by um, the fact that she sold 50,000 shares of her father's aircraft company to an Arab country. Bella aircraft is in the tenth of her holdings. She's inherited electronics firms, plastics, 
an ethylene plant in South Carolina. You know what she means for the basic economy? Not to mention the strategic defense of the United States. This could be some big international, you know, thing that we're trying to, to get ahead of. There's there's even a little like too big to fail kind of stuff going on with like he mentions the economy and just is great. That's a good system we got. Yeah, there. yeah. That's good. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So this is mostly exposition and filling in like here's why this is important. Yeah. Um this is the first moment uh, so my first sort of mystery which i've not revealed to anyone yet so it doesn't <laughs> matter uh is that i was wondering through the first part of this how much of this is uh just mistaken identity how much of this is uh, a shakespearean style plot hole <laughs> like the the thing that shakespeare does where it's just super convenient mistaken identity so we can have the story that we want to do mm-hmm. or uh if this is a giant setup and Jim's the person they really need right, to, right. or yeah. really want. And this is the moment where that resolves that, and it's it's the former, not the latter. Mm. Jim is the person they need, but they don't know that. Right, right. It is the North by Northwest setup. Yeah. yeah. That is not that is not gonna be uh uh punctured. Like that is just what it is. Uh and there's a great back and forth where he's like, I need your help, pass. Like mm-hmm. just nope. <laughs> he does make a slight appeal to like, well, Christine is really the one who needs help. Right. Right. And then he says that by tomorrow he can give Jim everything he needs on everyone involved. And all he has to do is talk to her. And he's there anyway. You know, what do you say? And we just end the scene on Jim's resigned sigh. <laughs> well, seems like he's going to do what he's going to do. Yep. That's that's Jim's M.O. Well, let's take a little break. Uh, we want to make sure that you know where you can follow all of our other projects and interests online. Epi, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can Google Epidia. I am the only one out there that I know of. Uh, you can go to digathousandholes.com. That's the number a thousand. Or you can go to worlds, plural, without master, singular, dot com and uh, find my work there. How about you, Nathan? My internet home for all things NDP is at ndpdesign.com. You can find all of the links and information for all of my various games, including the Worldwide Wrestling role-playing game, my zines, and uh, podcast projects, of which perhaps there may be more than one. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at ndpaoletta. As always, if you want more information about the podcast, go to 200aday.fireside.fm. And now back to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. We cut to a photo shoot. So this is the engineered moment that has been set up for content is this public photo shoot where uh, Christine Van Deerling is in public uh, or in public spaces, um, you know, taking photos and various, you know, fancy outfits and whatnot. Um, she is played by Dory Kavanaugh, who was on a who was a soap opera person, I believe. Um, she was on One Life to Live um, at this time. Uh, she was also in six episodes of a series called Dark Shadows: The Vampire oh, yeah. Curse. So that's something to look up based on name alone. Anyway, she I think she does have a little bit of that. At least the way that she's styled and, you know, this whole she basically spends the whole episode wearing this like one fancy but fairly skimpy dress. Right. So the way that she's like made up and styled and her dress, she definitely has kind of an 
kind of that uh, golden age of Hollywood air to her a little bit, I think, which is a bit in in service of uh, North uh, North by Northwest ish feel because uh, that's Eva Marie Saint was in that. And I don't I wouldn't say that they're, you know, look the same or anything, but that kind of screen presence, I feel like, is being echoed here in the casting. Yeah, I might be reading that into it. But that's fine. I, I think you're invited to read that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think that's uh, uh, out of nowhere. I was just uh, looking her up and she uh, very tragically passed away five years after this episode from cancer. Yeah, she has limited credits, but I think it's just mostly because of that. Yeah. So we, we start off with her, but then we go to Jim. We see him kind of enter uh, enter stage left. Um, oh, yes. And immediately go to the taco stand that is in the square. And uh, it's a good gag. <laughs> he asks for two tacos. And then as the guy starts preparing them, he reaches into the pockets of his coat and then realizes he has no money and turns his pocket inside out and begs off. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, never mind. Um, and does not get his tacos. This was a moment uh, written for the both of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know you are like, oh, taco stand. Oh, Jim, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in my notes, I literally wrote, what's Rockford going to pay for? This is the payoff for him giving uh, his wallet nice. to the, yeah. <laughs> the CIA guys. <laughs> this is paying that off. It actually it actually works. Yeah, and it's it's part of a motif that that's kind of fun that will play out in a mm-hmm. flirty way in the next uh, during this next act. But yeah, I love I loved every moment of just that tiny little bit. Yeah, you you just kind of see it. You see each moment just as it's about to happen, and it's yeah. very very satisfying. Yeah. In the middle of the photo shoot, uh, Christine kind of loses her her poise. Yeah. She falls out of her like take pictures of me act. Uh, someone hands her a glass of wine. She's clearly uncomfortable. She starts saying she doesn't want to do any more pictures. And then the villain of our piece, John Van Deerling, arrives, brushes off the hangers-on by sending them to a spot a couple streets away where the margaritas are on me to give her the room to continue her shoot. Uh, He has two goons that he specifically says to stay with her. They are definitely goons. Um, Yes. (laughs) They, yeah, well chosen. John Van Deerling is... Played by Don Chastain. I mean, he's got a he's got a face on him. He's got uh, a face on him, and he was in lots of stuff. I did not find him very fun to watch <laughs> <laughs> personally. He's not uh, much of an on-screen villain, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Most of what we get about him is going to come from conversations and implications. And so from the get go, you don't like him. Right, right. Yeah. And that that's never going to change. I'm not sure if I don't like him because I'm not supposed to like him or if I don't like him because it feels like he walked on set and was reading his lines off a cue card to me. Right, right. (laughs) I see what you're saying. Yes, But that's that might just be me. We're not supposed to like him. So it's not a big loss either way. Uh, But yeah. Just as uh, the photo shoot's going to move to another location, there's a crash, and uh, Jim's two uh, Spanish-speaking buddies have crashed their car into Christine's trailer at the opposite end of the little square. So they're making a big commotion and attracting attention. The goons go over there to be distracted, as is the setup for (laughs) this whole thing. And that's when Jim kind of sneaks in, gets Christine's attention, says that he's a friend of Terrence Halsey, uh, Terrence has disappeared and he kind of drops a bunch of little details about 
the two of them to yeah. kind of get her buy-in immediately. It's a little bit of a con, but then once they walk a little bit away from the square and the commotion... But you said you were a friend. Well, no, I have a tendency to exaggerate. I'm just a messenger, Mrs. Van Dierlen. I uh, don't know any of the answers, and I'm a little shaky about some of the questions. All right, goodbye. Oh, no. Don't you want to find out about Halsey? All right. But if he isn't in plenty of trouble, you are. <laughs> I I really dig this the style of con here that he's doing where he he starts off with really big lies that mm-hmm. he that he can only offer like he offers up literally everything he knows right, about right. about uh, uh what's his name Halsey and so he can't continue that because she knows Halsey intimately uh but it's it's he starts revealing the truth but with each each time he does it he's pulling her a step away from. Mm-hmm. Like and into this, it's it's just like before when I said you know I was trying to figure out if this was just like a, a series of coincidences that dropped this in Jim's lap or if he he was chosen to do this and it turned out to be the series of coincidences. But Jim is still the right person for this job, right? Right. And yeah, this is yeah. one of those moments, right? Like, and I thrown into this situation could not have done what Jim did. <laughs> I mean, you are a you are a seasoned private investigator. Well, yeah, that's true. But um in that I know how to google someone's name. Uh <laughs> but I I also just a shout out to uh, I'm in the credits it's Jorge Sanchez and Jorge's assistant, which are our two <laughs> buddies here. For well, first of all, like for just enacting a gym plan. Mhm. Uh, with with a plum, right? Like this mm-hmm. is. I think that uh, they did a good job of the, these characters doing do a good job of creating uh, the distraction that Jim needs. There's another payoff coming, and I want to talk about that when we get to it. But <laughs> at this moment, my 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 notes are like, wait, these guys really know how to enact a Rockford plan, right? Right. Well done. <laughs> they go to the same barn to talk to Sam who she recognizes and she doesn't want to discuss anything with him. Uh, he thinks that she was forced to sell her shares and wants to know more about it. I guess uh, they kind of have a, a bit of a standoff. And then our two guys, uh, Jorge and Jorge's assistant pull up in a panic and they're yelling. And then the trailer that they crashed into is right behind them with the goons in it. And the goons start and they all start shooting at each other. Yeah. Uh, it's very chaotic. Um, we hear someone yell, is this what you want, Garoya? And then he <laughs> yells, it's all a mistake, and tells Jim to get Christine out of there, and they run out the back while uh, fire is being exchanged in the front of the this barn. All right, so then my notes are, uh, maybe they're not so good at enacting a Rockford <laughs> plan, but uh, this is interesting, I think, because of, of the relationship that the Rockford Files has to Gunn. Mm-hmm. This is a shootout, right, which is actually kind of rare in the mm-hmm. Rockford Files. Uh, and it it doesn't feel as consequential as other shootouts do in the Rockford Files. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not with anyone that we're invested in. Yeah. Um, and it's mostly here. This is actually a very, like, gameable moment or game teachable moment for game stuff where it's like you have this moment where it's kind of, or everything's kind of static. Christine doesn't want to talk to Garoya. Garoya doesn't really have any leverage over Christine. Jim doesn't have any interest other than just being there and trying to get along so he can get home eventually. So you have this, this static moment where it's like, all right, where is this going to go? Um, no one has a strong interest in pushing anyone else's agenda anywhere, but then 
guys with guns show up. So that creates a new crisis that then has to be reacted to. And yeah. so Jim and Christine run and that, that gives us the propellant to get into the next part of the story. Yeah. So it's really, so it's in the service of the plot. It's not that it is the shootout. Isn't really, it doesn't involve anyone that we care about. Right. Right. So I get what you're saying there. So yeah, this gets us to Jim and Christine walking down a deserted road and their first big conversation. Um, I'll just hit some high points because it's the meat of this episode is the two of them talking. Right. Both screen time wise and interest wise. Like that's the interesting yeah, yeah. part of this episode is just seeing seeing them spar and then seeing them find some kind of understanding and seeing how that develops from the preview montage. We know they eventually kiss. So, yeah, you know, yeah so there's not a lot of mystery here. Yeah. So the, the, the conversation kind of goes down the road of Jim trying to find out what she's scared of, why the feds want to talk to her. She doesn't really want to talk about that. Um, her feet hurt, which is a, a thing that a motif that we return to a couple times. There is an amazing, amazing line. Oh, yeah. Dude, I know the line, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she tells Jim that she's not interested or whatever, and, and he can take that to his superiors. <laughs> and he says... I have no superiors. Few peers and no superiors. <laughs> <laughs> it's exquisite. Um, but it's also gets right at the heart of their class conflict, I think. Yeah. Which we'll kind of get more into. Uh, he needles her with society gossip, um, like all the kind of things we already heard, you know, from earlier, the silly things that she does. And she says that, oh, you're one of those people that resents me because I don't make I don't make money. I just spend it. Yeah. He asks her to be a little less rotten. And our first kind of like connection between them is when she says, oh, is that what I'm being? Yep. <laughs> okay. I'll work on it. And then they like share a smile. <laughs> and then that is when a, uh, and a dirt covered bus appears and is rolling down this, uh, this road towards them. There's, she does get a good line in there. I toil not and neither do I spin. And that just bugs the hell out of you, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and it's it's great because she's not. Uh, I I like her as a character. Like she's she's a a fully realized character who doesn't come across as okay. So I'm contrasting this in my head. Thanks to the she's having her feet hurt because of the shoes she's wearing, right? And this immediately makes me think of Romancing the Stone, <laughs> of course, a film that came out later. Uh, but has the, this a uh, similar dynamic. You have this this guy who's uh, in this case the one who uh, has been in the the country that they're in for longer, but a, a rugged lower class individual uh, and uh, a woman who uh, has worn the wrong shoes uh, into the environment, and they have this whole exchange of back and forth. The only reason why I'm bringing this up is that in this case she's not played as ditzy at all mm -hmm. yeah uh and it's not that the rockford files tends to do this in fact they it stands out when there's when when they do but like she just she is a good foil for rockford's like rockford again rockford has our sympathies at, both as viewers but also like yeah she's rich she's super she's rich enough to ruin an economy so we're not like super on her side and yet she kind of gets these things in like hey i'm a human being too like 
like I've got concerns and troubles and yeah, she's she's self aware enough. Yeah, yeah, that she feels not like a caricature. Um, and we see we'll see more of this, but like yeah, when when he kind of tries to get under get under her skin with like here's all the silly gossip things that I know you you do. She knows that those are silly things. Yeah, right. Like it's not like that's a surprise to her. Yeah. Um, and she's aware of her position in that kind of stuff, and and she's aware enough to know that people don't like her yes i think we see this play out in contemporary uh society and politics where it's like really rich people will do these absurd things because they want people to like them (laughs) right yeah (laughs) like why don't you like me i'm rich right and it's like that's why we don't like you um her kind of being aware of that humanizes her i think Mm -hmm. and we'll kind of see that conflict continue to play out between them uh they flag down the bus and they don't have any money but she gives the driver one of her rings for the fare and which is a great moment because the driver just like shrugs and it's like all right (laughs) (laughs) jim asks how much it costs and she says that it's only money you know what does it matter it's only money it's a means of barter blue beads and jim (laughs) Uh, we'll remember that the next time he re- refinances his trailer. Yes. So there's two things that happen here. Like one, this is there's a great line uh, leading into this where Jim, before they get on there, is like, "Do you have any money?" And she gives him a look, and he's like, "On you." <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, which plays back to the whole thing about the taco stand, which I loved. Uh, but also, this in my notes is like, wait a minute, what happened to that cabbie? They took a cab, so. <laughs> This is like, you know, the fridge logic moment where, like, Jim doesn't have money. Mm -hmm. She clearly doesn't have money on her. They took a cab from uh, the the photo shoot to the the hideout. And then the cab was still there when there was... And I can't remember if, if the cab car was just a car there that Jim got in and drove or if they took a cab. I don't remember. I don't Anyways. remember. I think they got in it, but like... I can also see, like, this is someone who works for Garoya. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it just had this moment of, like, wait a minute, hold on. How do you pay for the bus? How did you pay for the cab? <laughs> um, yeah. But then, so Jim explained, you know, the, since he mentioned the trailer, he, you know, explains about that. And she says that that sounds freeing, right? And so we get to that, the balance, yeah. right? Sure, she's rich, but he has freedom and mobility. She has money, I should say, she has money and he has freedom of movement and that is something that each of them desires (laughs) yes right that the other has um another kind of classic class dynamic issue jim explains that he can move it with a truck he explains what a truck is (laughs) a semi uh but his dad's an ex-trucker so he goes borrow one yeah so this leads him to talking about their fathers Mm -hmm. um jim has a wonderful are you very close to your father very yes Christine's father is in textbooks. He's this great man uh, making money with one hand and giving it away with two is what Jim says. Must be pretty hard to live up to. And Christine says, "Uh, you may have noticed I don't even try. (laughs) And I guess that's, again, the self-awareness that I'm. Yeah, uh, that 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 resonated with me. They get off at the next stop, uh, not realizing that it's not the end of the line. It's still in the middle and it's still on a deserted stretch of road. <laughs> but they're fall- But a guy with a chicken got off with them. And so they're <laughs> going to follow the guy with the chicken. Um, maybe they'll find a restaurant. And Jim lifts his, his watch off his wrist and says, well, this one will be on me. Yeah. <laughs> 
We cut to a restaurant where Jim's plate is almost empty and we see him take his last couple bites on camera. In fact, it's part of the text because Christine's like, wow, you were really hungry. (laughs) (laughs) She says that the food is better than than the food at the resort uh, and they have some more banter. Uh, There's a moment where Jim tries to be funny. He's kind of like, oh, we've achieved a rapport and he like makes some some remarks that she takes very seriously in recovering from that it turns into full-on flirting yes she says that she she better toughen up her skin if she's going to be around him and he like takes her hand and tells her that her skin's fine as it is yeah something along those lines just the right density jim asks her if she wants to go back and we have this long moment where she stares at him looks frightened Mm -hmm. and shakes her head just a little tiny bit and I think mouths something. I'm not sure if we're supposed to understand what she's... She does something with her lips where I'm like, I'm not sure if she's saying like saying something or not. I just wasn't yeah. present enough to pick it up. But then after giving the tiny silent shake of her head, she says, I have to. Yeah. She wants Jim to come with her to explain everything to her husband, to John. Uh, <laughs> and he asks why she's so afraid of him. And that puts her back up again. And she's like, fine, do whatever you want. But then as they leave the restaurant, a uniformed police officer comes in i forget if she if he asks her if she's miss van deerling or him if if, if he's like mr halsey or whatever yeah and upon getting an affirmation holds up a pair of handcuffs and jim sighs and puts out his hands (laughs) and he has a long-suffering smile as he is arrested we cut to jim saying that he didn't kidnap christine but this cop will uh he's a lieutenant as we learn this this lieutenant says he's going to get all of the stories and decide which one he believes Jim tells him to call Sam Groya and he'll explain. He makes this call and then has the exchange in Spanish on the phone. And mm-hmm. then, of course, hangs up and says he's never heard of a Jim Rockford or a Terrence Halsey. <laughs> and Jim's <laughs> like, well, of course he would tell you that. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it is to no avail as the Van, Van Deerings come in. John wants to press charges. Jim says, are you sure? Because I'll counter Sue. Classic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Beth in his corner. For like assault with a deadly weapon or something. Uh, those those two goons were on were on Van Deering's payroll. But Christine says that it was all a mistake and she can expl- she takes full um, uh, uh, responsibility and she'll explain everything. So she says that the report of kidnapping was made in good faith, but it's just because John didn't know what was happening. Jim or Halsey, I forget if they specify who he's supposed to be at that time, told her about a, a man that was dealing in rare amethysts that he knew. And she <laughs> know how she feels about amethysts. And so they went off on a lark to see this man. Uh, but unfortunately they were interrupted by the goons who thought that she had been kidnapped, et cetera, et cetera. So like the facts are all in there, but like the reasoning she yeah. you know, fabricates when presented with, well, you know, his story didn't say anything about amethysts. She's like, well, he was covering for me because it would have been a strictly legal kind of situation. Yeah. Sure. Okay. It's the old uh, illegal amethyst routine. Illegal, illegal Mexican amethysts. Yeah. That's, uh, I think at some point they they do clarify that they're in Mexico. I don't actually remember point, where they... I could be wrong. It just says South America in the preview, or the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be left intentionally. Um, they they say the town that they're like they say a town's name at some point, yeah. and I did look it up, and there is a town of that name in Mexico, but it's like a tiny population too. <laughs> so I don't know if it's just a name pulled out of somewhere or or what. It's kind of neither here nor there. Uh, the 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 point is that this 
this cop accepts her story and releases Jim. Yeah. His 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 guys pick him up. They have a lot of excited banter in Spanish. He tries to wave them off and they basically convince him through lots of excited yelling to come with them to see to talk to uh, uh, Sam one more time. This is a good presentation of Sam Groya in a bathrobe. <laughs> this is important for a later bit in the scene. He apologizes, but he couldn't break his cover to the to the cop. And Jim's like, everyone already knows who you are. Yeah, yeah there's no cover. Like there's been an ongoing joke that every time he mentions him, they're like, oh, that guy, the CIA guy. <laughs> yes. Uh, but he still has to maintain it. Um, he apologizes for the inconvenience. He has a first class ticket to him back to L.A., and $1,000 to make up for, for the trouble. Jim says that Christina's in trouble. She lied for him. She's clearly still terrified. Uh, she needs protection. Sam will report it to Langley, but he's not that concerned. They have their fifth wedding anniversary party the next day, and he's going to get an invitation to go attend, so he'll check it out. And he's sure that nothing's going to happen to her yeah. before their anniversary party. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. He tells Jim that Jim's out of it, and that's official. And he flashes his badge, which he pulls out of his bathrobe pocket. You guys carry those things in your bathrobe? That's official. <laughs> yes. This is, of course, a classic way to get Jim to actually do the work. You spend the whole time asking him to do it. He won't. Mm -hmm. And then you tell him, you can't do it. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also another gag where he says that a thousand, like a thousand dollars isn't. Yes. Isn't enough. And he go and he opens. So I guess Sam's cover is that he like works in like a, like he, he runs like an antique store or something like that. S something like so that. So there's yeah. a cash register there. Jim turns and opens the cash register and it's empty except for a couple little coins. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, the next morning Jim is at the airport getting his ticket. He makes a call and we learn through his talk with the switchboard operator at the hotel that he's been trying to get a hold of Christine all day, but she keeps on, it keeps on being some reason why he can't talk to her. And now they have instructions from Mr. Van Deerling not to send any calls to their room. So he cannot talk to Christine. And he's specifically asks like whose instructions. Yeah. And she, uh, says it's the senior's instructions, which I think is that you can clearly see it in Jim's face that that's what's got him. He's, yeah, now yeah. he's he's doing it. Now yeah. he's... He's like, she's in danger. Her husband's yeah. doing something nefarious. I need to go help. Um, so we go to the hotel um, where we shortly learn the manager walks up to Jim and uh, we have a great <laughs> con... <laughs> It's an exquisite God. Jim's like, you know how easy it was for me to walk in here? I just gave my name to the guy at the door and just walked in. Again, perhaps slightly inspired by the previous episode in, in theme. So Jim is claiming to be the, forget exactly what he says, but um, he works for Elton John. Yes. And he is uh, responsible for scouting out the locations and making sure that everything's going to be in order for Mr. John's appearances so you know john isn't expected this evening i certainly hope not it's a surprise as a manager of this hotel you should have informed elton doesn't have enough on his mind but elton and van dierlin are real tight you know now if van dierlin sees me we blow the whole gag uh he said i should clue in the missus is she down yet <laughs> yeah. this particular con i mean it's fun we, we, we've got the whole Elton John thing doing, but it also is well-crafted. It gives him reasons for, well, it, 
okay, it, it gives him some authority. Mm-hmm. It puts a time pressure on everything. It gives him reason for why he needs to hide from, uh, uh, what's his face? John. John. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, and sometimes you see Jim in a con and you, you watch him backpedal the whole way through until he gets what he gets mm-hmm. and then gets out of there. This one feels more like a, He's thought out a good one going in. Yeah, it's, this one was was reverse engineered from what his needs were, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he gets in, he talks to the manager. Um, he says that uh, uh, Elton and Van Deerling are really close, so he doesn't want to be seen by John because it's a surprise for John, right, from yeah. Christine. So that's why he can't, you know, he needs to, like, go by the back way or whatever to go talk to Christine because... Uh, plane is supposed to land in 45 minutes and, yeah. he wants to, and he's coordinating with her for the big surprise or whatever. A lot of security he's got to set up. And, yeah. yeah. So the manager is, is uh, bamboozled and takes, takes him to see Christine. There's the final little bit. So he's, he introduced himself as ace something to the manager. So they come into Christine's room and she sees him and goes, Jim. And he says, I can't believe <laughs> that you're always so formal. Everyone calls me ace, but she has to call me Jim. <laughs> Which is clearly the formal way to say James. Right. Wait, was it James Scott Rockford? James (laughs) Scott Ace Rockford. (laughs) You know, manager leaves, con successful. Christine looks terrible. Um, She has a headache and she says she has a burning sensation in her stomach, but she hasn't, she's been feeling bad for days. She complained of a headache earlier. Yeah. At the photo shoot, I think. Um, So this has come up before, Um, but she hasn't seen a doctor. She's like, it's just a headache. I'm not that spoiled. She asks for a pill and a glass of water. Jim goes to get it, and he looks at the pills, asks her where they came from. She says John got them from the local, you know, pharmacy. Yeah. Um, he tastes one, and then he's like, I have to take you to a doctor. It's never revealed what is happening. It's clear at this point that it's poison. Yeah, he names it at the end of the episode. Oh, he says okay. that he was I feeding that, her. Then. Yeah, he says that John was feeding her arsenic. Oh, that's right. Yes, I did hear that. And I thought to myself, wait, okay, arsenic. All right. Yeah. Because Jim tasted it. Jim knowing the flavor of arsenic, I guess. guess. Yeah. If you're a PI, you'd need to know these things. I mean, yeah, it seems reasonable that if it doesn't look like an Advil or whatever, he might be like, yeah, wait a second. What are these? Anyway, he wants to know. And so she refused. She's like, no, you can't take me to a doctor. Like, what is John threatening you with? That's worth your life. Uh, so it is not spelled out all the way, but like, he's like, you're dying. <laughs> yes. This is, this is communicated in a much better language, but essentially she's like, the legend of my father was bought. He bought that with his money. Yeah. In truth, he was a, he was a terrible man. He, he did all these terrible things to make all that money. Um, and she loved him anyway. So she doesn't want to see that facade be, be broken. She's told John about all of that. But then I guess recently she stopped caring as much if it all came out. She doesn't want to live under that, like, legacy anymore. It's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. I almost don't care now. I almost don't care at all. If it all comes out, all those ugly details come right out. Does your husband know you feel that way? I told him. I don't think he believed me. I'm afraid he did. So we get the portrait of the the motivation here being John Van Deerling seeing the the gravy train 
running out if the truth comes out about her father, if there's some litigation or something, or they're shamed. His lifestyle is in danger. Whether or not she was serious about it, Jim says that uh, John took her seriously. And so he picks her up in his arms and carries her out of the room to take her to a doctor, (laughs) saying they'll rewrite the textbooks. He uh, runs into John with a gaggle of their their hangers on in the hotel lobby, <laughs> and there's a, a you know a confrontation here uh, where Jim says it's an interesting medicine you've been giving her, uh, and tells his goons to step away or they're going to be cut in on an attempted murder charge. Uh, it's in public, and you know their friends are there, and they're like, "What's wrong with Christine?" Yeah, um, yeah. And it comes down to he tells John, "You call an ambulance, or I'm calling the police." Yeah. So we cut from there to Jim walking up the steps to the hotel hand in hand with a well-looking Christine recovered from her 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 troubles. So that's good. Yep. There's a bit of dialogue where he says that she should have thrown the book at him. Uh, this is where he says he was feeding you arsenic, but yeah. she says it's better this way. John's out of her life and she just doesn't want to deal with it anymore. And they don't need to rewrite the textbooks. Because nothing has come out about her father or anything. So you get the feeling that that John just kind of accepted like, okay, I'll just walk away. You know, we won't make a big yeah. deal out of everything. Um, yeah. And then we end our episode with quite the, quite the conversation. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're being flirtatious. Yes. You don't want me to come, do you? Oh, Christine, what I make in a day when I'm lucky enough to be working. You pay for a haircut. I could let it grow long and shaggy. I wouldn't like it that way. Wouldn't work, would it? Too many blue beads. There's a natural need in a television show to bring things back to stasis at the end. You know, maybe you don't know the order they're being aired in or or whatever. But this actually felt quite natural. Like the the there's a monumental gulf between the two of them. Because like he has this line, what I make on a day, if I'm working that day, you pay for a haircut. You have $200 haircuts and I'm hoping to make 200 a day. <laughs> on the days that I, I can find work. Right. Um, that there's just too much between the two of that, that they just won't be able to resolve. Like there's, there's clearly an attraction between them, but yeah. And he has this great line. Like if he ever hits the mother load, he'll look her up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all kind of bittersweet. This is kind of an exploration of the class divide, right? We got the picture of John Van Deerling as a, uh, gold digger, right? Like he yeah. married her for her money. And then when like the money spigot was going to get turned off, he was willing to kill her. Right. Uh, and that's bad. He's a villain. Um, but that also <laughs> implies that he probably did not have money of his own. Yeah. So we contrast that with Jim where he's saying, even though I don't have money and being with you would mean I could live a different lifestyle. Like I'm not willing to just live off your wealth, right? It's a working class pride. It's a, I work for what I earn, even if it's hard, even if I don't get as much as I feel like I should, what I do get, it's because I worked for it. And right. that's important. Um, and it would be too much of a change. It, it's, it's like he would have to be a different person for this to work. And if he was a different person, then she wouldn't be attracted to him. The only way he could do anything... Like, okay, I feel like this is reflected in she offers the ring to get them on the bus. 
Mm-hmm. And as they're heading to the restaurant, I think she has like another ring or another piece of jewelry yeah. that she takes off. And he's like, no, no, I'll get it with my watch. And like, that is the last moment. I mean, aside from saving her life that, that Rockford can offer her anything that she couldn't just out and out buy. Right. Right. And I think that's probably part of it too. Like, it's just, um, you know, she'll visit his trailer, but she won't stay at his trailer. Right. And I think this is a, you know, this is a lived reality, I think, for a lot of people where it's like when you're in a relationship with someone, if there's a big imbalance, whatever it is, if it's, you know, Mm -hmm. income or I don't know, job or lifestyle or where you live or like that kind of stuff, that can be a really hard thing to manage, even if it seems like it shouldn't matter. Yeah, it matters. Right. There's yeah. So this I think that all rolls in. I guess this is all to say this is a very effective for me conversation where it's like, sure, there is the TV thing of like, well, they're not really going to get together because she's not going to be in other episodes. Right. Um, But in service of getting to that goal, their whole conversation here seems like it makes sense given how they've been interacting so far. Like, sure, they connect, they're attracted to each other. He's literally saved her life, but that isn't what a relationship can be built on when there's such a gulf between them of like their lifestyle. And uh, yeah, they have this very serious kiss. We've seen a lot of Rockford kind of yeah sweet kisses, <laughs> I think, in recent episodes. This is like a real, they really get in there. Um, <laughs> the dental kiss. The last kind of note on that is that he says, look me up next time you're in LA or give or something like that. She's like, oh, well, maybe I'll come. You know, may I'll come soon. And he just looks at her and there's a beat. And she's like, you don't want me to come, do you? <laughs> and he's kind of like, yeah, it wouldn't work. Like, it's just like, here is yeah. a fantasy. Like, and we're, we're saying the nice things at the end. Yeah, of yeah. But now, like, camp is over. We're going home. <laughs> yes. This isn't going to be maintained in the future. And then they have this big kiss. And then she laughs and gives him a kiss on the cheek. And then we end with them smiling at each other. Yeah. Having come to an understanding, if nothing else. And that is South by Southeast. Mm-hmm. A title I have said correctly each and every time, <laughs> which I did not expect to do. So the other, the phantom half reference that I was thinking of yeah. is that I'd forgotten this until I looked up the synopsis, but there's a plot point in North by Northwest where there's an auction and uh, Cary Grant ends up like disrupting the auction and, and, and stuff. But the auction is for a, like a, an, like an indigenous Mexican statue. Oh, so you think there's like microfilm concealed in it. That doesn't feel like it's strong enough to be a reference reference. Like, right. Juanita Bartlett sat down. I was like, well, there was that Mexican statue. So we'll set it in Latin America. (laughs) So it's a phantom half reference where it's like, oh, there's a little bit of a connection there. Yeah, maybe. But yeah. So there we go. It was a a bit of a romp. Uh, Most of the episode, like it's, it's a, I don't think it was at odds with itself. Uh, It's a murder plot. But you don't know that until the last <laughs> ten minutes of the the episode, right? Like, like, yeah. and uh, that's fine, I think, because most of it is just this kind of fun Rockford tossed out of his element, and then meeting this this woman and their interactions with each other, like the the plot, the thing with, mm-hmm. that involves the CIA that that the reason. It's necessary because it's a Rockford Files episode, but it's not what we're actually watching in this episode. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The strength of this episode, to me, is is the Jim Christine story. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of has to be set somewhere where Jim isn't comfortable, I think, to be mm-hmm. 
to have the resonance that it does. So in that way, getting Jim out of L.A. is kind of part of that. But yeah, the the plot beats are kind of there to support seeing that story unfold. Uh, there's not really a mystery. Yeah. Uh, there's not even really that much tension, I don't think. Um, the conversation at the end is where Jim's like, I have to go back to L.A. Rocky's tired of feeling, feeding yeah, my yeah. cats, right? Because we mentioned that at the beginning. Um which has a little bit of added resonance there because he's he he invokes Rocky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's important since they've connected over the issue of their dads and everything. So Yeah. I wanted to throw that out there in case anyone was waiting on Tenderhooks wondering wondering where the cat reference went. Right, um, right. So I hadn't really remembered this episode. I'd remembered kind of the premise of like he gets on a plane and goes to Mexico or whatever or wherever he is. But I didn't really remember anything else about it. I think going forward what I will remember is the Jim Christine story. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. Kind of everything else around it is kind of like I don't know. It's not the focus, and thus I not super memorable. Uh, yeah, I, it, it was a very fun episode to watch. I felt, um, but mm-hmm. like I said, that opening sequence, getting him onto the plane and uh, out of the country, was just yeah, that's fun. I, I was cackling with well, I wasn't literally cackling. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to create a. But like, there's a part of me that just loves to see Jim in trouble, and it just it was just eating it up. I was just like, yeah, more, more of that. The IMDb reviews on this one are pretty mixed. Some people do not like this episode, which I understand. Um, it's a departure. Yeah, it's definitely a departure. And also it's a bit of a like, if you don't buy into Jim going along with the agents. Yeah. It's kind of like, that is a big plot hole that Jim would even do that kind of thing. And I'm like, I I get that. I yeah, you know, you if you bounce off of that, the rest of the episode is probably not. You're probably already rolling your eyes, right? So it's kind of like you're not going to be invested in the rest of it. Um, a couple of them mentioned that it is perhaps a. And I couldn't find anything else to back this up on my initial searches. Maybe someone who has all the production schedules in a spreadsheet somewhere could could look at it. But there's some mention of like this was a near the end of the season episode to shoot, so it's a bit of a budget episode, like. Oh, interesting. None of the other main cast characters are in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not in a lot of... There's only a couple locations. You know, it's a very tight couple yeah. of characters that we're following. Um, but, I mean, they do have the plane. I don't know how expensive planes are because they... Right. Those were... It wasn't all stock footage. Those were, like, shots of the plane. Yeah. Uh, but it, it does kind of have that feel of, like, if we get Jim out of L.A., then we have these, like two locations and these three sets and this one guest star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's pretty much the whole episode. So I kind of buy that. It might've been a story written towards a budget kind of thing. Right. Right. But again, I could find no corroboration of that, uh, other than these IMDb reviews. So I don't know. Yeah. I guess overall liked watching it. A nice departure. Uh, not a mystery <laughs> movie. Yeah. Not a, not a mystery <laughs> story. Not a satisfying mystery to delve into. Uh, but it is it is a good character. Yeah. It's a little character, a little character study within the frame of this homage to to a great movie. So. Um, and I will say one of the best Rockford line, a, a Rockford line to put in the canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no superiors. A few peers and no superiors. <laughs> It's just great. I think every word of that is important, specifically that he says, and no superiors, not but no superiors. Right, I feel yeah. Like those are two different things. Yeah, yeah. Some peers and no superiors. <laughs> yeah, because the, the context for it is superior as in a boss, but like there's definitely 
the implications there that are great. Yeah, yeah. it's very a lot good. Of fun. All right. Well, good pick. Thanks, Epi. Well, you're quite welcome. <laughs> I'll take responsibility for a good Rockford Files episode. <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe we'll search out a more mystery E1 for our next one. Or maybe not. We'll see. We'll see what comes up. <laughs> <laughs> As we have such a uh, delineated process for selecting these. Yeah. But you can rest assured that we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>